Books are the quietest and most constant of friends. They are the most accessible and wisest of counselors and the most patient of teachers. Charles W. Eliot. Man, that was a deep one. It was. was. Yeah, that was Kayla. I'm Randy. Welcome back, everyone. We're two bitches reading books. Man, that was like... Where did you find that? A man wrote that? A man wrote it, I know. Why aren't <laughs> okay, men that a wise? Couple, a couple wise ones out there, I guess we'll have to admit. Not all men. Just maybe, maybe not anymore. <laughs> we had to go into the trenches for this one. Just kidding, man. That was good. You got me all flustered. I got confused. I wanted to announce some news to you. Oh, yes. Here's the beginning do. of our podcast episode. We're up to 49 states not 59 i i'm back to remembering that there's only 50 states but um 49 states there's only one holdout and guess who it is north dakota north dakota possibly (laughs) possibly not even a real place so i'm starting to think it's not real they probably don't even have technology i know right like who we've talked about this but who do you know from north dakota i don't know anyone anyway one that's really exciting news i'm i'm excited about it me too so anyway, okay. this book is good. This I book is so good. I just can't stop thinking, you're pregnant. Should you be reading this? Because it feels like the pregnancy aspect is like tied into some of the shady shit that's going on here. Or I at know. least the doctor people who deal with pregnant people. I know. I, I don't know. And then uh, thinking, thinking about Delilah, I'm like, oh my God, how? How? Oh my gosh. Fucking hell. Anyways, we should get into it, I guess, so we can talk talk about these specific instances. Did you read the prologue? Yeah, I did. I figured that's where you start. Did you start there? Please tell me you read the prologue. <laughs> I did. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I remember being younger and, like, not reading the prologue. Like, if they wanted me to read this, it'd be chapter one and just, like, skipping it. Yeah, that's but how I feel, too. It just, reading this book specifically reminded me of that because the entire fucking our entire reading almost to like the second to last chapter I'm like who is the prologue about is it Meredith but it's definitely Shelby it's definitely Shelby we start prologue oh my gosh the no chapters no numbered chapters in this book just it stinks for our purposes doesn't it anyway it really does so I guess we're going to be talking about page number a lot and not chapter number because there are no numbered chapters it's just like a point of view and then 11 years before or now. Come yeah. along with that roller coaster ride. It is a freaking roller coaster ride. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, it's stressing me out. Real life, like fiction, fiction that could be real life gives me the, it scares me more than anything else because like this feels like it could happen. I feel like a weird ass couple could keep a couple kids in their basement and feed them what I seriously think is dog food for 11 what- years yes stresses me the fuck out but anyways we're not there yet we're in the prologue 11 years before we don't know who it is at this point but we have deduced by a third of the way through the book that it's shelby we were guessing till then though it's just starting with her it says her husband it's it's just talking about her husband cheating on her basically and she uh doesn't care to ask anymore because she's doing her own shit her own extra curriculars and it sounds like her husband is an asshole Oh my so they goodness. Just, they just had a baby. 
Mm-hmm. And she was a stay-at-home mom. Getting further in the book, it doesn't sound like the baby is that that old. The baby was only like that six far weeks along. old by yeah. the end of our reading. So she's not even, maybe she's not even a stay-at-home mom. She's definitely on maternity leave right now. Yes. She yeah. like, the baby is fresh from her body. She's, mm-hmm. I can't believe she's running or he no. thinks she's running. Anyway, she tells him she's going for a run. And he's like, now it's the middle of the night. You're going to get killed. I'm paraphrasing. He says, when people do dumb shit like this, they always wind up dead. And I just like, I'm just thinking about like my relationship, of course, because that's what I have to compare this to. I fucking wish (laughs) that that would be the tone that Matt would express his displeasure or his disagreement in something I wanted to do. Like, okay, well, let's fucking fight then. I'll burn this shit to the ground. Yeah, I, I wish Orlando would tell me what I should and shouldn't do. Oh and then basically goodness. say, you're just going to die. Like, yeah, okay. like, you could just be like, you know, there's creeps out there. Okay, cool. Sorry, maybe you should have come home earlier so I had time to run in the daylight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bitch. But anyways, it's after, like, 10 p.m., isn't it? Mm-hmm. I would yeah. be super fucking scared to do this, but she's not really going for a run. She steps out the front door, runs a little to the corner, and sends a text to someone saying, on my way, and they say, see you there. She deletes the conversation. Like, it's all very shady. We kind of find out, like, both of the people of this marriage haven't really been faithful. This is a guy that she's seeing who's also married. He takes his wedding ring, ring off. She doesn't. She's like, we know what we're doing. We're doing it. And anyways, this fucking part was so creepy. I I literally stopped after the prologue thinking, I don't read shit that sounds like true crime because of this. But she's walking in the fucking dark and she hears something coming up from behind her and she like spins around. She doesn't see it. It's so fucking creepy. Of course, she's thinking in the back of her head, like, what if her husband's following her? And I'm like, you know what? This is the least of your worries. Like, fuck your husband. Fuck this extracurricular guy. Because she like, looks around, doesn't find anyone, and then looks up and there's car lights right in her fucking eyes. No time to hide. If this is the guy she's meeting up with, he's a dick. Pretty sure it's not. <laughs> no. And then it leads into part one, and it's Delilah Now, page 15. I literally start part one with a sticky note up above the Delilah part saying, is she the baby from the prologue? But she's not. I spit- that's, a good, that's a good question. Yeah, I spent my entire, like... All of us reading trying to figure out if Delilah was the baby from the prologue because she doesn't know how old she is and we don't find out how old she is until like page 100. Trigger warning. We're going to talk about child abuse and suicide. Lots of bad stuff. My second note on this is great. Jumping in strong with shitty foster parents. Like at this point in the book, I'm assuming Delilah is the child of the lady who I assumed got kidnapped in the prologue and that these are her foster parents and they're just the world's shittiest foster parents. So anyways, things have changed so much in my thinking. <laughs> I'm so, it's so funny that you thought that because I didn't even think that. I was like, okay, Delilah, is this another girl? Oh my goodness. So anyways, that's like how, that's how much we still need to learn. (laughs) Yeah. Delilah is in a small black room, no windows. It's a basement, as we learn. And she can hear people upstairs. She knows one's a woman and one's a man because of how they've treated her. Uh, The man treats her better than the woman, but the woman's, but I mean, she still gets like beat a lot. Honestly, we learned that the man only treats her better than the woman because he's fucking grooming her. She's talking about how she's tried to find a way out. There's stairs. There's exactly 15 stairs. She's talking about how she doesn't really know how old she is, but she knows she's grown because once since she's been there, her clothes just stopped fitting and the woman had to take her out for a new pair of clothes that fit. She's only had two outfits since she's been there. Like, 
years she knows have passed and she's never changed like that's they're in the dark down there it's it sounds fucking scary Mm -hmm. it's her and one other and another kid who's a boy that we learned um there's a toilet just basically in there and she said that it never gets cleaned and that the only time that they take a shower is when they start smelling really bad and they don't even get a shower they just get rinsed down with cold water a cold water hose yeah and it's her and like a boy I mean they don't know how old anybody is but he's we found out a little bit younger than her and they just have to stand there in this dark ass room when the lady comes down with her bucket of cold water and just strip down while the other one just stands there awkwardly like it's just fucking awful at this point in the story she's hearing the lady up there getting all pissed off because she has to come feed the kids and she has to feed the kids because the man said he doesn't want blood on his hands and i'm like uh okay keeping the kids in the cellar is kind of still blood on your hands and that's Mm. we don't even know what else you've done up to page 17 and beyond is just setting the scene for the lady to feed them. Um, she opens up the door and Delilah starts going up to the door. Gus is the boy down there. He is really scared, so he doesn't really fucking move at all. Like, he he just tries to avoid those people at all times. And she's just talking about how she moves so little down in that basement that her muscles are literally starting to atrophy. She's talking about how she... She tries to keep up with her calisthenics, though, for when her escape happens. And that makes me laugh a couple times. Me too. The whole time I was like, God, that's like Brandy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just enough to keep my muscles from atrophying. <laughs> so funny. So she gets the dog bowl. The lady serves their food in a dog bowl. And so now you have to know it's probably dog food because they used to have a dog, but not anymore. Yeah, Delilah doesn't know what happened to it, but she knows it used to bark, and now there's never any dog noise. And inside the dog bowl, she says, is something mushy like oatmeal. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. She says she tries to eat it, but the mush is nasty. Her insides feel like they might hurl it all back up, but she keeps eating anyway. Like, she has to eat all of this, because if she doesn't eat all of it, the lady gets pissed at her because she cooked her food. And I'm like, no. The dog food manufacturers cooked that food. Have you ever seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No. There's this scene where Brad Pitt just slops this can of dog food down into his dog, whose name Brandy, her food dish. And uh, that's just what I'm picturing in here. It looks disgusting. I think she ends up flushing some down the toilet, doesn't she, to make sure they don't get in trouble? Yes, because if they don't eat it all, then they don't get food. Yeah. And Which becomes an issue soon. Uh-huh. But in this dinner that she got they left a spoon and so when Delilah goes up to put the bowl back she keeps the spoon because she's trying to figure out how to make a spear out of it (sighs) thank fucking god she does yeah but then fucking Gus oh my god Gus where did he come from whose mom got killed for them to have Gus. He got. He just got kidnapped. Delilah says that they lured him to their car with their big Clifford oh, dog. Oh, right, right. But what if they killed his mom first to get her out of the picture? That could be it. Because somebody left that note on Delilah's mom's body, like meaning this whole crime was basically about getting Delilah. Yeah. Which I still don't fucking understand. Like, why did you kidnap this girl to keep her in a basement for 11 years? Like, if your whole goal is to groom her so you can be a pedophile, you don't keep her for 11 years. That's, I don't think pedos are having that much of a long game. No. 
So just kind of rundown of like the child abuse. It's mentally and physically. The woman would always call Delilah things like twit or dipshit. Like, come get your dinner, dipshit. Stop your whining, you little twit. Call her your ornery and an ingrate. Just kind of being a bitch to her and also hitting her. And, like, the things she's doing to be considered ornery are, like, forgetting to say ma'am at the end of a sentence or not eating all of her dog food. Or yeah. asks for a blanket because she's cold because they don't oh even my God. have anything to sleep on down there. Right. Heaven forbid you're sleeping on concrete, surrounded by concrete walls, and you want a blanket. Ungrateful. Unfucking grateful. So by page 22, she's got her stolen spoon, and Gus is like, You're just going to get yourself in trouble for not getting that lady back her spoon. Thank God she's not paying attention to Gus, though. She's She's got to get out of there. She's trying to figure out how to sharpen it. So she runs it on the wall because it's concrete, but that's not really doing anything. And she's like, oh, let me check the toilet. And she realizes the toilet is smooth. And then she comes to the top of it and realizes you can take the lid off. So she dips her hand in there and she's disgusted because she probably doesn't know what's at the top of the toilet, that it's clean water. Well, I guess not really clean, but then she puts her hand in there and she feels ridges. And so she starts pushing the spoon on that. Yeah. And by the end of page 25 where she's found her little place to sharpen her spoon she's um, feeling hopeful because it's getting a little sharp and Gus says you shouldn't be doing that they'll kill you and she says not if I not if I kill them first she's a gutsy girl would you if you were in this situation would you try and find a way out or would you just sit there till you died I think about this all the freaking time (laughs) um you know (laughs) because I'm crazy and I genuinely don't even think that I would get to a place where I would be captive because I feel like I would rather them just kill me before I got to the second location. I feel like I would make it so they have to kill me on site or let me go. I'm not going to the next location. Okay. You're going to have to drug me. Because that's where the bad shit happens. And if they can keep me somewhere, how am I getting out? If they had all the time in the world before to plan out this fucking thing. You know the other scary book I'm reading right now? The guy has these people kidnapped in his basement and he's torturing them. And oh my he, god. I know. Oh my god. There's one scene that is never going to leave me. I'm not repeating it here, but I will be posting about it. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> he keeps people. He's a serial killer. So he's on like his sixth set of victims because he is at this point kidnapping couples in the movies when you're kidnapped and you have your hands tied to the chair you knock the chair over you break the chair you get free he cemented the fucking chair legs into the basement of his house how am i gonna fight against that how am i gonna fight against that hell no oh my god the other day i was trying to open up the drawer in my bathroom and my nail got caught caught and broke off how am i gonna fight against cemented chairs no No. (laughs) i can't go to the secondary location i'd rather die first but anyways um i guess i would try to fight but like eventually i feel like they would beat the fight out of me i feel like if i was there for 11 years that would be it like i would just die there i'd probably stop eating and then they'd beat me to death for not eating like that would be my fate if i was delilah i don't think that after 11 years i would then find the fight I feel like it would be all at the beginning, and then I would just give up. What about you? What do you think you'd do? Do you have a plan? I don't have a plan. I'm just like, wow, what would I do? I would sit yeah. there and cry, and then maybe my survival mode would kick in, but would I be but then again, ballsy like, enough to do something? And even if you are ballsy enough, like, we get to the point where Delilah gets upstairs, and she very barely doesn't make it. She barely makes it out of the house because she doesn't know the house. So when she mm-hmm. get out of the room, there's the house. Like, So even if you were brave enough to, like, fight back what are the odds that you succeed i don't know 
Shit well, we know not for Gus. <laughs> not for Gus. If you're a chicken, the odds are zero. So Delilah is sharpening her spoon. She's making a prison shank. A prison shank. And all of a sudden she hears the footsteps getting closer to the door. The old lady puts food up there and she's like, come get your food. They take too long to go get it. And Gus is a piece of scared shit. So he sits in the corner and he's like, I can't move because he's frozen in fear because of what Delilah's doing. So Delilah's like, shit, what do I do? And she's trying to put the lid back on the toilet quietly. And then she starts walking over there and the old lady's like counting down. You have four seconds to get it or something ridiculous. So she's like four, three, two. And by the time Delilah got to the stairs, they said one, and then the old lady was like, you ain't hungry. <laughs> <laughs> we find out that Delilah talks like a redneck, so it's safe to assume <laughs> that she does too. <laughs> the, the old lady says, you think I got all day to sit around here and wait for you to come get your food? And <laughs> Delilah's like, no, ma'am. She's like, no, ma'am, what? No, ma'am, I don't think you got all day to sit around and wait for me to get my food. So then at this point, the woman is just kind of taunting her and was like, oh, you're not hungry. And Delilah's like, yes, I am. Delilah forgets to say ma'am at one point. The woman takes the food away and does not feed them for a while. Delilah has no idea how much time has passed because it's dark as shit down there. All she knows is she's fucking dying. Like, it's now or never. And there's a scene on page 30. Like, they're so desperate for something. They drink some of the water from the toilet. And even that, they're, like, trying to conserve and just take little spoonfuls because... What if that runs out? They have no idea when this lady is coming back. So The means for survival is just crazy. Yeah. Did you ever read The Child Called It? No. Oh, this reminds me of that so much. It's about an abused kid. Sadly, it's his mom doing it to him. But oh. he literally stays alive for a long time by – he has to sleep in the garage and his mom doesn't feed him. He has other ki- other siblings, too, that are around his age. And they get to sleep in the house and they get to eat food. And he basically keeps himself alive for a long time by just chucking the water out of, like, the washing sink in the garage. He says, when your belly's full of water, it kind of feels like you just ate. Ugh, I'll never forget that. I feel like I read that book when I was, like, 14. That shit sticks with you. This shit is going to stick with me. The dog food, the – her just laying in bed thinking that her spoon is as good as it's going to be because if she doesn't do something now, she's going to die. And then at the end of page 30, the door creaks open and it's the dude. And she's got her spoon in her hand and she's thinking like she doesn't want to hurt the one who's been nice, quote unquote, quote to her. She says, keeping kids in your basement ain't ever nice, <laughs> even if you aren't the one hitting them. <laughs> but like facts, Delilah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Man, this just grossed me out. This scene disgusted me. Oh, because the guy with the candy yes. bar? Yeah. He Eat literally it. came down there to give her a candy bar. Not Gus, Delilah. Go and on. He's... Eat it. She does. She does eat it because she doesn't want to offend him. And he's like, you like that? I've got more where that came from. Whenever you want it, it's yours. All you've got to do is ask. And I'm just like, Ugh. grooming 101, my friend. Anyways, the guy's too close. Delilah's like, now or never. And stabs him in the fucking neck. Realizes she's going to have to stab him more than once and starts stabbing the fuck out of his neck. I actually wrote she's stabbing the fuck out of his tribo ass. (laughs) 
And then he grabs her leg and she's, or he grabs her hair. She cries, but keeps running away. And then he falls and grabs her leg. So she kicks him until he's, until he lets go. And at this point he's like, she says he lets out a screech. So we don't know where the wife is. Yep. But apparently they can't hear upstairs what's going on in the basement. And at this point, Gus is crying. <laughs> Gus! Bitch. Gus, this is why you don't make it out, my friend. Right here. Yep. Yep. These behaviors. Like, I feel like if I was in there with somebody else and they started a revolt, I would have to go along with it. We're all yeah. getting punished anyway. Two people are better than one. Imagine exactly. if Gus was there helping her. Exactly. He could have been back at her house with her. I don't mm-hmm. know if they could have both fit in the shed, but I don't know. They could have probably chainsawed that motherfucker or something. Who knows? Yeah. Someone grab a someone grab a shovel. So she gets out of the man's grasp. She gets Gus going. They get up the stairs. She's looking around. It's dark as fuck. She can't find anything. She's only been up there the one time when they brought her in. And they just, like, hushed her downstairs real quick. At this point, she starts hearing the wait- lady waking up asking for Eddie, the fucker, would-be child rapist. Probably has been a child rapist before. He's been alive longer than 11 years. And who knows what he's doing when he's not at home. Ugh, this these few pages, I oh man, my heart was pounding when I was reading these. <laughs> Mine too, and my palms were sweaty, and I was so anxious. So the old lady's calling out for Eddie. She's like, "What's the matter? What's the matter?" And he's like, "The little bitch got out. She's getting away." <laughs> like and- it's her fucking fault that she doesn't want to be a captive in your creepy basement of horrors. My <laughs> God. And so the two are fighting because they're like, how do you, how'd that happen? How'd that happen? Delilah is trying to go to the door. She realizes the door is locked and she hears the lady get closer and closer to her and she's freaking out now. And there's an alarm on the house. So as soon as she opened up the door, the alarm started going off. So now they know that she's running and she starts running and Gus, she's holding Gus and dragging him away with her. And then they get into a forest. And this that is, is behind exactly the house. what I'm saying about, like, how could I compete against somebody who's, like, set up to have me kept prisoner? I don't think these people are, like, wealthy and have, I mean, you don't have to be wealthy to want security on your house. But I feel like they have a security system designed to keep those people in and not to keep intruders out. Yes. How am I going to compete against that? How? I might be Gus. I don't know. Who knows? Hopefully some adrenaline would kick in and my evil core would come out and I would be okay. I don't know. I think I could stab a pedo in the neck. I think you could too. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, back back with these people, these kids. On page 36, she feels the grass in her feet so she knows that she's free. She sees the moon, which she hasn't seen for 11 years, and it kind of guides their way. She's trying to be supportive of Gus, telling him that they're almost free, they're almost free, but then they hear the man and the woman calling after her, them, and they look back and see that they have flashlights and can kind of hear them the more they go into the forest. She says since they've been in the dark for so long, their eyes have adapted a lot better than the old people, so they're used to seeing in the dark, whereas the older people are not. Yep. And finally, they, like, get somewhere where there's, like, houses, and Delilah's like, we gotta hide. We can't knock on any doors because who knows if they know these people? And I don't even know the neighborhood. What if we go right back to the people's house? I don't know how far we've run. So they decide to hide out in a shed, and when she turns around after opening up the shed, she realizes Gus is gone. Ooh, I feel like I skipped past the part where they're running through the forest and trip on the fucking tree and then hear somebody close behind them. Yes, I think that's when Gus gets taken. It, that's what I was thinking, too. That happens literally two paragraphs before she finds the shed and stops. Like, it all happens super quick. They're running. They trip. She gets up. They don't trip. She 
trips and falls, right? Yeah. Gus asks what happens, and then they hear a tree snap behind them, and she's like, let's go. Takes off. And then doesn't stop running till they get to the neighborhood, and she decides to hide in the shed. So she has not even looked back for Gus since that tree thing. He definitely got taken way back then. And she's sitting in the shed. Oh, my heart was pounding so bad here. The way that this is explained is just so good. It makes <sighs> you feel all of the feels. I, so this she... is like scenarios I have personally thought about being in myself already before. I'm definitely putting myself in her shoes. And I don't know why I thought once she got out the front door, they would be like, oh, well, she got out. But no, <laughs> of course they fucking wouldn't. You don't keep kids for 11 years and then just, oh, well, they got out. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm dumb, but I was hoping that all this next stuff would happen. It was so scary. That's why I, I was hoping that she would have ran in the street and a cop would have came and she could have like flagged him down. But whatever. Right. Oh, man. So anyways, she's in the shed and the man comes up, Eddie. And I just imagine he's kind of dumb yeah <laughs> like a big old blockheaded just walking with like a limp yeah so anyways this like scene of him searching the shed goes on for I don't even know like four pages but yes. it's all just to say that he like stands outside the door for a while and then he opens up the door and he doesn't enter the shed yet he's just like looking then he turns on his flashlight and then starts really looking and then he steps a foot in and it's all just like it, it all happens probably in 30 seconds but it, it, it takes like 15 minutes for you to read or probably it probably didn't take you 15 minutes to read it felt like it took 15 minutes though because it's just full of terror she's mm-hmm. a good writer she is uh delilah's like crunched up into a ball trying to make sure that he can't see anything and what i realized in here is that it was raining when Mm -hmm. she ran away and it was raining when she got kidnapped i mean rain happens but i was like oh man that's kind of interesting oh interesting i didn't make that connection but you're you're right and the rain is a big part of why nobody saw anything when she got kidnapped and it's probably a big part of why nobody hears all the fucking noise when he's knocking shit off the like walls in the shed of some random I assume some random dude's property Mm -hmm. like if it was their shed they would have torn that shit to the ground probably yeah so the lady shows back up after a little while asks if the dude's seen her he says she's not there and they end up leaving she doesn't sleep that night because she's worried they're going to come back The sun comes up and it blinds her because she hasn't seen the sun in 11 years. So it's really hard for her to navigate the outside world. And she starts walking in a ditch that's kind of like in that forest area because she's trying to stay off the streets just in case those people are driving. And she's like wondering where Gus is, but she kind of has a feeling that he's back there. She's like, I could go get him, but if I go back, we're both dead. Yes, she's a thousand percent right. Like, she could go back, but not to get him, just to go back. Yeah. She's she's pretty smart for a girl who's been in a basement for 11 years and has literally no education. That's all survival. That's all instinct. She eats an ear of corn. She finds a puddle walking. and drinks from it. She's fucking starving. So even an uncooked ear of corn and some puddle water is like... <sighs> Better than fucking dog food and toilet water. Yep. And then 46, we go to where she's walking in the forest. She can hear the cars. And then all of a sudden she sees a woman, a little girl, and a dog. And the dog runs up to her. I put in here that um, I was like, oh, is this her mom? Because the woman asks, are you hurt? And then she said, how old are you? 11, 12, 14. She notices that there's bleeding. And then she asks 
Delilah what her name is and she said Delilah and the woman's like taken aback at this point and I was like that's her mom that's her mom the woman's like Delilah what she's like Delilah Dickey and the woman is flabbergasted right I wasn't thinking it was her mom at this point but I was like oh interesting she's heard of Delilah everyone knows of Delilah so that's interesting but Delilah does not want to give any information to this lady she's so hesitant throughout all these pages like (sighs) it kind of reminds me of Kaya but like a thousand times worse that's what I was thinking too yeah so anyways she is free man it took me two sittings to read this first I just I wanted it to be over once they got out the front door (laughs) yeah it's very nerve-wracking it's so nerve-wracking I hate that she's a child we find out that she's 17 but still she was six when she was taken so like she's been going through this for 11 years like this has been her life makes me sad but anyway she's out now and she's with some lady who knows where who she is and it's not somebody who's going to take her back to those other people which is something she was really fucking worried about the mm-hmm. whole time she like even when she was walking she was she walked in that ditch for the ex- specific purpose of not being seen by the people on the road and if a car did come she could drop down because she was willing to risk like not being found by somebody who could help her if it meant she definitely wouldn't be found by somebody who would hurt her again makes me sad that she's had to develop those survival instincts in such fucking awful situations me too but i'm glad that she's out and it when she got out. I thought to myself, this is only the beginning because now she's readapting to a world that's changed so much. Yeah. Like, and even honestly, without knowing how old she was at this point. And not just that the world's changed so much. She didn't even learn about the world yet. She was only six when she was taken. What do you know? What yeah. do you know when you're six? You have one school that you've been to and a couple families on your block that you've met. We'll talk about that more, though. Her, We get, like, three points of view in this book, it seems like. No, four. Mm-hmm. Delilah, Leo, Kate, and Meredith. And then we also get Kate, which we're about get, to get into. And then Meredith, of course, is the mother of Delilah and Leo. And then we get Leo's point of view when Delilah comes back and, like, just seeing how she is now from his point of view and how he has felt through this whole thing it's just very fucking real like the real parts of true crime you know the parts like you know you don't want to be a part of any of it never mind so we're in kate now 11 years before we're meeting kate she's a neighbor she lives with her wife i assume maybe long-term girlfriend beatrice b yep and it's just like nine o'clock at night it's a stormy night they're having like some crazy floods I have a note here saying remember the flood that happened in Colorado a few years back because that's what I'm picturing like streets are rained out people can't go places like it's a pretty bad flood someone starts banging on her fucking door and this part made me laugh so hard on page 54 and 55 because somebody starts banging on her door it's a dark stormy night she doesn't answer she goes around to the back of her house and starts flicking the back patio light to try to get B's attention to get her to come answer the door for her (laughs) but B doesn't come so Kate has to go open the door herself and it is Josh who is Meredith's husband and Leo his son and they're all wet and rained on at this point I'm like this must be Delilah's family yes it is mm-hmm. and she's saying Leo's not crying but it looks like he wants to be crying she goes into so much detail I feel like I'm in the fucking conversation and a conversation that is like four sentences ends up taking four pages but I love mm-hmm. it and yeah. basically the next few pages is just Josh telling Kate that Meredith and Delilah are missing. He's talking about how, um, like, at this point, also, I'm assuming that the cheating woman in the beginning is Meredith. And 
I'm like, yeah, she got stolen by a car, bro. But anyways, Josh, like, just found out at, like, 6.30 p.m., 6.45 p.m., that Delilah never made it to the babysitter, and Meredith canceled her yoga classes that she was supposed to go to. And he didn't know that before. Like, this, I feel like when you're in a whole family dynamic, it's very shocking to find out that, one, only one of your kids went to daycare. That's weird. Also, is it, it, I think it's weird that the daycare would accept the kid of the kid who's sick because it's probably contaminated. But anyway, that's beside the point. He's freaking out because he doesn't even know when they were missing because he assumed that Delilah's been in daycare all day and Meredith has been at work and he hasn't heard from her at all since he left in the morning. And he says that's not unusual because she's a doula, so sometimes she's in and out. But he's also mentioning how, while it's not unusual, he would assume he would have heard something by now because Delilah's sick. They would have had to make some plans about the sick kid. And her phone's also dead. And he can't find her on the tracker that she has on her phone. The dog hasn't been fed since he left. So even if she like went to work and then came home or like stayed home all day with Delilah and then had to take her to the doctor, like why hasn't the dog been fed? Like it seems really bad. He's thinking, well, is it a burst appendix? Is it a like meningitis? And, you know, in the back of Kate's head, she's thinking, a lady just went missing 10 days ago. This is fucking scary. So, oh gosh, like, I'm glad he's over at the neighbor's house within two hours trying to find her. And he's also called around to hospitals trying to find them. But oh my God, like the, your worst fucking nightmare, right? And you're like, we have these trackers on our phone, but her phone's dead. What's the point of a fucking tracker? I need a tracker on the fucking person. Can we get an implant? B comes in and we find out that she has a recording studio in back and that's where she was. Uh, Kate fills B in on what's going on and then she asks if she saw Meredith. She said Meredith came over for a for some milk and then left. Yeah, so she was really the last person to see her. But she, like, they ask and she says she didn't mention Delilah being sick. And I kind of feel like you would. If your kid was sick, like that's something like you mentioned in casual conversation, like especially if you're borrowing something. Sorry, I need a cup of milk. Delilah's sick over there and I don't have time to go to the store. You know, like that's something that would be brought up. It just makes me so sad reading on page 62. Josh saying, by now both of us should or both kids should be asleep and Meredith and I should be catching up on TV. And like, you know, that's this this is not what you expect for your day when you wake up. No. (sighs) So... They also talk a little bit um, at the beginning of page 61. They talk a little bit about maybe calling the cops. And did you call the police? Um, It was right after they sent Leo to ask cookies. Of course. Okay. This is important. Kate and her lovely bride are just so conscious of the kitties. Um, They don't have any kids themselves, but they literally they are like, Leo, hey, we have some fresh baked cookies. Why don't you go over there? And then they're like, hey, uh, did you call the cops? Uh, Is your wife cheating on you? Like asking Josh all these awful questions. So that was really considerate of them, considerate of them to send the kid away. But this is just like a a bunch of back and forth about like where she could be, why Josh doesn't think she's there. And just the normal questions you go over when somebody's person is missing and, you know, troubleshooting where they've looked for them. I was really upset that it, it took Josh that long to call the cops. You know what? I think, I feel like the cops only got involved because the kid was there. I, 
I was thinking about this. I was reading this chapter mostly from the perspective that Meredith is missing. And I was thinking the cops wouldn't even come. But yes, Delilah is also missing. So the cops would come. They just keep going back and forth. And he comes inside and calls the police and reports that his wife and daughter are missing. Yep. At this point in the book, I like looked up and looked out the window. And I was like really shocked to find that it was not raining outside. I just feel like I was so in this chapter and she mentions the weather just subtly throughout the conversation through this chapter. Like, I just felt like I was on there. a dark, stormy night. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I could hear the rain. Yeah. If, and the you thunder. felt the thick air, like the thick ambiance of rainy weather in the air. I don't know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I even told Matt, like, it's not raining outside. Oh, that's funny. So that's the end of that chapter. Uh, Josh is going to call the police. And then the next chapter is Meredith, also 11 years before. She's just doing some normal bath time stuff with Leo and texting a client who is in labor. And she is also like, oh, gosh, the the thoughts in her head about like working with the hospital specifically in regard to like dealing with pregnant people in labor stresses me the fuck out because I feel like it's realistic. I know. <laughs> uh, this chapter also, she starts in March because oh, the yes, timeline important. is important. Yes. So when we're 11 years before with Kate, we're after Meredith went missing. When we're 11 years before with Meredith, it's obviously before she went missing because she never gets on missing. So um, she's texting this lady who's going into labor and it's kind of like she's in labor and it's kind of, it, you know, kind of an emergency, but not an emergency because things could change quickly when you are in labor, but her contractions are still five and a half minutes apart. So best not to go to the hospital yet, but keep a close eye on it. So she's checking her phone a lot. Like every time it pings, she feels like she has to check it. And this is important because then a message pings. And even though she's in the middle of bath time, she lets herself get distracted picks her phone up and the message says, I know what you did. I hope you die. It's from a number she doesn't recognize. There's a picture of like a grayish skull with large black eye sockets and teeth. She says it's the symbol of death. Ugh. This just gave me the chills. Yeah. It, it made me think of uh, Desperate Housewives. Yes, for sure. I love me some Desperate Housewives. It all comes back to Desperate Housewives. Mm -hmm. Oh man. So Leo is like, come on, mom, the, the bath water is fucking cold. Wash me up so I can get out. Like, even the kid wants to get out of the bath. He's been in there so long. She's been so distracted. And before she goes over and tends to him, she texts back, um, just thinking, like, well, I don't know this person. This couldn't be me. She says, you have the wrong number. And they text right back and said, I hope you rot in health. And I hope you rot in hell, Meredith. And, oh, gosh, I hate this. I would freak out if this came to me from an unknown number. Oh, no. I would, too. Just then, Josh starts knocking on the door. He comes in. He's, like, kind of bringing up the fact that this bath has taken a really fucking long time. She's, like, telling him, I still need to wash the kid. And making excuses like, I have a client in labor and actively chooses not to tell Josh about the scary text message that she just got, even though she's clearly, like, very flustered about it. Would you tell Matt? I, yeah, I would tell everybody. The, I would even text back. The first thing I would have done is screenshotted that shit and sent it to everyone, but, like, do you know who this is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have reverse looked up that phone number. Oh, man yeah I would have definitely told I, I feel like people probably do shit like this just to scare you too that's what I think too and she's like so distracted she even gets like some shampoo in Leo's eye and she feels really bad but like 
she's very fucking distracted. They know her name and somebody wants her dead. It's very, it's disconcerting. She was just having a normal day. Like the whole bath just goes to shit after that. She tries to give Leo a washcloth to wipe the shampoo she got in his eyes out. She drops the washcloth, tries to pick it up again, drops it again. She's like really put off by this message. And her phone keeps going off and Josh is like, are you going to get that? And she's like, what? And he's like, your client. So then she's like, oh yeah. And she kind of hesitates checking because she's worried it's going to be that unknown number again. But when she checks it, she realizes that it is her client and the client's contractions are getting closer together and her water broke. So they were heading to the hospital and Meredith was like, gotta go. This page 71, there's a paragraph at the top talking about a stillborn baby and like Ugh. just some of the man the the stuff that people who work in labor and delivery deal with and like pregnant people man just fucking heartbreaking yeah she's in the perfect headspace to go deliver a baby isn't she she is yeah so meredith's life is not going great uh right before she gets snatched but that's i will it. tell you oh, go ahead. reading about her being a doula and why she's a doula i was like oh great Fuck. Maybe I should have got a doula. The reading about her and why she's a doula are like 87% of the chance, like 87% of the reason I'm not probably ever going to get pregnant. Because I genuinely feel like American healthcare is designed not to help you when you're a pregnant person. Yeah. Specifically while you deliver the precious thing that is your child. Yep. Oh, man. I don't know. I could go for days about it. She's going to get into it. We'll be able to talk about this more. (laughs) But not on this chapter, because now we're meeting Leo for the first time. Page 72, and it is now in present day. Yep. And Leo's kind of reminiscing about, like, having Delilah as a sister. Delilah's back. And he's kind of thinking about how his memories all feel kind of false because, like, he knows they're real. His dad has told them enough times that he remembers them and he knows he was there. But, like, he doesn't remember because he was four. And he's also talking about how he's been bullied a lot in school because he's the freak. You know, his mom got murdered. His sister got kidnapped and is still missing. And, of course, kids are going to find a reason to make fun of you. And that is a easy reason. And I bet you all their parents are talking about it at home, too. So it's on their brains. Tits fucking suck. They really do. I feel so bad for this kid. Like, his mom died. His sister is missing. We find out later that they were, like, besties. And he kind of resents her. He's saying that his dad would kind of focus on Delilah and that whenever a tip came through... His dad would fly to the next spot where someone claimed that they saw her only to come up empty handed. He said the reward for finding Delilah was up to 10 grand, which I think is very low. And so he's like, oh, that woman hit the jackpot. But for as much as people think the Internet knows everything, the one thing it doesn't say is that the girl who came back isn't the same one who disappeared. Well, Leo, she was in a fucking basement eating dog food for 11 years. So, yeah, she's a little different than the happy-go-lucky six-year-old sister you used to have. Have some compassion, you asshole. I feel like he gets slightly more compassionate as, like, the chapters go on. And hopefully by the end of the book, he's, like, a real support system for her. But right now, like, he's mad at her because every bad thing that he perceives in his life, he can trace it back to her. Like... Everybody at school bullies him because she went missing. And it's not her fault, but, like, if you're a kid, it's easy to think that. And now that she's back, his dad's whole focus 
is on her and doing whatever's going to make her comfortable. And he's like, what about me? You know, and I can see he's 15. I could see where he's coming from. I can too. But also, especially because, yeah. Well, and then he's also had his dad for himself for the last 11 years. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of like being an only child and then getting a new sibling, except this one like has PTSD, like a motherfucker. Yeah. For good reason. So we're back with Kate um, 11 years before and we're in May. So this is basically two months after the last time we saw Meredith and Meredith's obviously still missing because that's what we talked about last time we were in Kate's chapters. Uh, The police are finally here and B's already gone to bed because, you know, that's how long it takes the police to respond to things. It takes over an hour, she says. Um, She's not blaming police incompetence. It's the weather. It's flooding there. There's good reason it took them so long. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, Leo went down for bed. uh, And, of course, he was asking when his mommy will be home before he went to sleep. Just, you know, all the sadness you expect to happen when you are investigating a fresh fucking abduction. So, of course, they think maybe he did it. Mm -hmm. I love that Kate is like... The reason she knows the police are there is because she saw them come out her window and she wraps a blanket around herself and goes and stands on the porch and just like watches until she's too cold and then continues watching from her living room window. And I'm like, yes, get that goss. That's what I would do too. I mean, I'm the person who, if you're talking too loud about a story out in public, I'm like, shit. I'm, I'm, gonna listen. Now I'm listening. Yeah. My ears are turned up. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? I might get online and tell other people your story too. So just, I don't know. If it's private. If you want it to, yep, keep it private. <laughs> so, anyways, Kate is a full-blown nosy-ass neighbor. And I think it's really interesting that, like, the stuff in the here and now we're hearing from the neighbor's perspective. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that's going to be something later in the book. Yeah, I do But too. anyways, <laughs> nosy-ass neighbor. She can't actually hear what's being said, but... On page 76, we now learn that the woman in the prologues name is Shelby Mm -hmm. and that is all that Kate is thinking about because Shelby disappeared a few nights back and now it's Meredith and everyone thought they might have been that Shelby was an isolated incident and now they're thinking maybe they could be one and the same and then we kind of in the next few pages learn more about Shelby and how her husband's friends would say that she was just kind of a loser. The news was all over Facebook about her disappearing. They actually called it Local Woman Missing, so we know where the book title came from. And then Shelby's friends would stand up for Shelby and say Jason was abusive and a cheater, and then his friends would just be like, she makes up things. She's melodramatic. Which I feel like is exactly what the friends of an abuser do. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> so anyway, or like she had it coming, she deserved it, she backtalked, she forgot to say sir or something. Yes. I mean, it's just going back through how Shelby had gone for a run that night and her husband worked long hours and this wasn't the first time she'd gone running late at night. And this part in the book just triggered me to think um, because in a previous chapter, Josh had said he kind of thought that Meredith was having an affair. Mm -hmm. And now that we know for sure the prologue lady isn't Meredith, I was like, oh shit. Well, Josh thinks Meredith is cheating because she's fucking frazzled about all those messages she's getting. Yeah. (laughs) So anyways, this, this, 
paragraph kind of helped me tie some shit together. Yeah. Well, and then I was also thinking, um, I don't know if you like were paying attention to the news. I think it might have been earlier this month or last month. I don't know. These months have just gone by so fast. But there was a woman who was a teacher in, I think, Missouri that went jogging at like four or five o'clock in the morning. It was really early. I think it was four. And she ended up getting murdered by someone. They ended up finding her murderer. But everyone was like, why did she go so early? Why did she go so early? But she was a teacher and a mom. And that was the only time that she had to herself to be able to go jog that early. And so listening to Jason talk about Shelby jogging so late and kind of victim blaming her or the comments, it was just like, why do women, why is it always, why do we have to chastise women who were going to complain that are fat? And then when they try and do something, I mean, even though Shelby was going out to cheat, she's still losing weight. (laughs) She's doing something. She's burning calories. (laughs) Yeah. Why? Which is very misogynistic, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because otherwise the expect, like you can't go out at noon to run when it's high fucking sun, because then you would be leaving your baby behind. And then people would be like, well, who's taking care of your baby right now? Like you can't fucking win. You can't. And like Shelby's husband specifically was one of the dudes who expected her to drop that baby weight fast. Yes. And we learn more about that coming up. Oh, he is a dick. So... Don't victim blame. Sometimes <laughs> women have to run in the dark because the dark is the only time they have to run and the dark shouldn't be so fucking dangerous for them. You know? Yeah. The world should not be dangerous for women, period. Yeah. Also, I think the jogger you're talking about is Eliza Fletcher. Yes. Yeah. 34 yes. years old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I really like convince myself that I these things won't happen to me because they happen to pretty young like 18 to 24 year olds. I'm 33 now. I'm an old crone. 34 yeah. is older than me. It's cronier than me. No, I shouldn't say that. Eliza, you're not a crone. Um, well, the other day, I had to um, fill up my gas tank at 3 o'clock in the morning. I stop at a gas station. I am stupid and have my back to the wide open space that's behind me. And as I'm filling up, I'm like, this is stupid. I need to turn around and look at what's behind me. As I turn around, there's an a homeless man approaching oh me God. with his hands in his pocket. I pull out the gas thing, shove it in where it goes, get in my car, lock the door, and take off. That's exactly what I fucking would have done, too. Oh, my gosh. You just reminded me of this crazy gas station story that my mom had one time. <laughs> she was up in – I might have told you this, but the podcast needs to hear it. She lived in Minnesota for a while, and she was driving between, like, two small towns. So she's, she was out in, like, rural Minnesota. She stops at a gas station to get gas. It's closed. It's the middle of the night. It's probably like 11 o'clock but it lets you run your card so she's getting gas and then somebody pulls up in their car an old dude she says he's like late 60s probably rolls his card his window down and tells her he's having a hard time getting his maps on his phone to work could she please come help him so she gets out of her car because the gas is like pumping and she was sitting in her car waiting i know you're not supposed to do that but it's cold out there okay anyways she goes and goes to his like car window, asks him to hand her his phone so she could put it in for him. And he's like, no, you have to reach in because I can't unplug it from my center, center console. And so she reaches in. She's the same height no. as me. We're five feet tall. And she reaches in and so far over that her feet are kind of dangling. And this motherfucker starts rolling the window up on her. And luckily, luckily, she had some fucking presence of mind. 
to get the fuck out of there and get into her car and lock the door but he just sat there forever like blocking off the exit to the gas station and she had to drive through the grass to get out oh my god isn't that so fucking crazy and she's telling me like he was just she's telling me this story as it's like a fun as if it's a funny joke he's she's telling me he's like 60 something years old he's not killing people and i'm like what i think that killers are killing people until they're dead that's just what i think i think once you get a taste he he was luring you into his car he was gonna drive off with your little body hanging halfway out oh my god scared the shit out of me that crazy lady uh you know i i had to (laughs) tell her not to be talking to ben in the middle of the night anymore but what the fuck yeah be weird my god be rude stay alive like the crime junkie girls say yes yes well on the bottom of page 78 or the last paragraph of page 78 kate is now thinking about meredith and delilah's disappearance and she's like what if it wasn't domestic violence shelby's case because that's what they thought what if there's a serial kidnapper on the loose and it does seem like there is a serial kidnapper something's going on but it's so fucking weird that it was shelby by herself and then it was meredith and delilah and they kept delilah for 11 years it's it's so fucking weird i can't wait to find out how this all ties together if it even does like what if jason killed shelby one-off murder and then just coincidentally some other crime also happened i don't know could be i'm getting stressed out this isn't even a real thing (laughs) (laughs) anyways that's the end of that chapter and we go back to meredith back in march 11 years before and she is delivering a baby the baby's name ends up being zeppelin and i love this because she's like who the fuck names our kid zeppelin and then she's walking to a parking garage and she's like it's a creepy parking garage she talks about how she has pepper spray because her husband makes her carry pepper spray i am also getting pepper spray tomorrow so i will forever have pepper spray on me heck yeah Uh, and she just keeps thinking about that text message and she's hearing something behind her and so she just starts to walk faster she thinks about calling someone so that she's not by herself out there. And she gets into her car. She starts to drive off. And then it's a, uh, another midwife or a nurse, a delivery nurse, that starts tapping on her window. She screams. And then they both joke about the name Zeppelin. I was just <laughs> laughing at this because, like, first of all, Mary loves to write a scene where you're creeped out about something sneaking up behind you that you can't see. And that is one of my yes, biggest fears. She does. <laughs> but also because, of course, Jeanette or Jeanette or however we want to pronounce her name, of course, she stalked this bitch down to gossip about this lady's name. She's like a mid 50s lady who's been birthing babies for the past three <laughs> decades. And she's a shit talking queen. And that just makes me laugh. <laughs> and that's it. I love that Jeanette's like what whatever happened to Thomas and James <laughs> yeah and freaking Meredith is even like don't you know Thomas and James have fallen out of rotation in recent years <laughs> so this the conversation ends like kind of funny whatever but then her phone pings and it says get home safe from the weird number oh I hate it. I hate it so much. Were they in the parking garage with them? That's what I want to know. So obviously at this point we start to, or I start to suspect that it's somebody who works with her or is in like the same hospital where this person gave birth. And then of course we know later on that Shelby and Meredith know each other. And Jason says Shelby has some beef with the doctor. So I don't know. It seems like this whole labor and maternity ward at this county hospital or whatever it is i don't know i'm scared because of them. we know that 
Shelby moved from the city to the suburbs mm-hmm. or she moved thousands of miles away from her family to these suburbs and it's not Meredith it's another neighbor that moved or did Meredith also move from the city B um Kate's wife B oh, is yeah. the one who's kind of like not keen on suburban living but yes and then there's another neighbor who saw something that day before the disappearance that was from the city that also moved to the suburbs so everyone here kind of has that similarity of living that's not accustomed to suburban life and then I'm just like wisteria lane wisteria lane it really is (laughs) giving desperate housewives for sure yes yes so now we're on present time with leo and he's talking about the home videos that his dad took of them when they were kids and how sometimes his dad would watch him and he's comparing that delilah in those videos to the delilah now and it's it's fucking sad man she's not okay it's so sad he's talking about how he is good at math um and then they principal comes over the speaker and is like hey will you come down to the office and everyone just starts laughing at him or look at him like he's weird and he gets there and sees his dad crying and he's like why is a grown man crying yeah this oh gosh and then i'm assuming the school bully walks by whoever todd felding is oh yeah and sees that his dad's crying so he's like i'm never living this one down yep you don't want the kids at school to see your dad cry and i mean i get it i get it but like Bro, Leo, if you ever have a kid and it gets kidnapped and you don't cry when it gets returned or at any point, I don't know. You're probably going to jail. Yeah. Just saying. And as you should, you heartless fucker. But teenage boys are heartless fuckers, and that's a fact. They are. And you gotta be. I mean, this, it sounds like a pretty (laughs) cutthroat high school. Yeah. Can't even be a kid with a missing sister. No. Or else people will think you're weird. I think it's really funny because we learned on page 85 that his dad is hooking up with the lady cop and that's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. He hates it. He feels so awkward about it. And he like read some of the text messages (laughs) she sent and he's like, these are definitely crossing line. And I'm just in my head like, you can tell that this is crossing the line, but you can't give your sister an inch. (laughs) Fucker. She says, or he says she's eating a little Except it's like she forgot how to eat because she's doing it all wrong. She's thin. She's got pale skin. Her hands shake. He talks about how his dad rushes up and wants to hug her, but she goes stiff and almost stops breathing. And the cop has to, like, tell him, chill out, man. She probably, like, you're really, you're about to get bit by a wild animal. Yeah. And his dad is just, like, so fucking happy. Like, they both notice how she looks just like her mom with this crazy red hair and then of course they talk on 86 about how one of the first things they need to do before she can go home is do a rape kit they need to make sure she wasn't sexually assaulted and i'm just like ugh. if she wasn't now she's about to be great even the dad like has that thought too because he's like kind of torn like he doesn't want to traumatize her like that if she hasn't been Mm -hmm. and she ends up having to go into the room with the nurse by herself like the nurse kind of tells her that no, the lady cop says it would be better for her to be in there by herself without her dad. And I'm like, I don't know. I, because, like, she is 17, but does she have the mind of a 17-year-old? Yeah. And I, I think it's this chapter. I mean, we, they might have brought it up earlier that we find out that she's six. Uh, someone was like, you're not six years old anymore. 
that's page 86 yeah do we find out is it this one or did they say it in earlier chapters and we skipped it either way we know for sure that she was six when she disappeared and now we know that she is 17 and we did find out she was six when she disappeared the first chapter with kate but i only really mentioned that leo was four at the time but that's important because they're two years apart so we know that he's 15 right now in real life and she's 17 in real life yeah, and she's supposed to go to child services this night that they found her, but the cop is like, you can just take her home, that's fine. And then this is when we find out that Meredith was found dead with a quote-unquote self-inflicted knife wound and a note that says, you'll never find her, don't even try. I love that you say quote-unquote self-inflicted knife wound because my entire note for that paragraph is just quote-unquote self-inflicted. <laughs> yeah self-inflicted right that seems like a suicide note right yeah and then at this point I was like okay thinking to myself if she did commit suicide then the text messages have to be about Delilah and so I was like is Delilah not did they kidnap Delilah kind of like in um Desperate Housewives and then I was like, well, no, because Delilah looks like Meredith. So maybe Josh isn't Delilah's dad. <gasps> and so maybe she did have an affair. And these people are like, I know what you did. I know what you did just to get Delilah. And these could be like Delilah's other grandparents or something. Maybe. I, I've been wondering what she could have possibly done. Because she just seems like such a fucking like pure soul, like a real gem. Yeah. And then I was like, what if she did? What if it was something stupid, like voter fraud or something? (laughs) That's not stupid. But like, (laughs) no, but that's been in my head, too. Like, it probably was something petty and stupid that she wouldn't even remember. But it was something these people took to heart because they had nothing else going on in their lives. And they needed something to latch on to with anger or something. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I can't wait to find out what it is. Yeah. They have her feet wrapped up because it's just so bloodied up from her running and not wearing any shoes the last 11 years Mm -hmm. there's like glass in them she has to wear special sunglasses because she hasn't been in the daylight yeah and they're also worried about her mental state and then this is when her brother says um she talks like a redneck she's he says that she's about four and a half feet tall and maybe weighs 80 pounds at 17 and she has no boobs yeah Like, I wonder if she's even gone through puberty yet, because isn't it your weight that kind of triggers it? I think it is your weight, and she's malnourished, so I doubt that it would happen. And I feel like she, I don't know, I feel like if it would have happened, it would have been brought up, Mm -hmm. because that would have been part of the fucking torture of living in that basement in the same outfit for 11 years. So they take her home. It's a media circus. That's specifically what the dad says, a media circus. And Leo's kind of having a funny thought, like picturing the reporters as clowns and stuff. <laughs> but this it's it's not really funny because they're like taking pictures of this poor girl through the car windows like she's like some sort of zoo animal. And like, this is her life now. First, it was in a basement with nobody but Gus and nobody at all for a while. And now it's probably going to be under the microscope constantly by a bunch of people and that sounds so fucking stressful i wouldn't be surprised if by the end of this delilah ends up committing some fucking crime because being poked and prodded constantly when you are not used to it could cause some mental shit to go on in your brain Mm-hmm. Leo mentions how Delilah spazzes out and gets twitchy because their dad had to honk the horn to get people to step back and he goes I feel so sorry for you but I don't know what to say to make it feel better 
I liked that sentence so much because it feels like like the first time we met Leo he was like god why are you like this you've ruined my life and now he's like I feel bad for you like shit this seems fucking awful you know yeah and contrary to what everybody thinks about making your kids feel bad and making them sad or whatever I feel like you need to feel bad to get empathy I feel like you did I yeah and I did like the end of 88 he said dad's angry about the media circus because if what you told the lady cop is true then there's still someone out there looking for you and if that's the case these reporters will lead them right to our door yeah and i'm like call your lady cop girlfriend and have her ticket all these motherfuckers for trespassing on your shit man what's the point of laying with a cop if you can't get people ticketed exactly (laughs) come on Oh, so that ends Leo's chapter, and then we are back with Meredith in March, 11 years before. It's s- still the same day, but it's early in the morning, and she's driving back home. She got a McDonald's cheeseburger. She only slept an hour. She got home around 4, and then they all woke up around 6. Her life seems so fucking tiring, exhausting, chaotic. Like, even when she's not getting threatening messages, she's doing yoga in the morning. She's helping people advocate for themselves during labor in the evening and then coming home and momming on her free time and she gets one nap per day. That's fucking crazy. I like this part. Uh, Josh asked what they had and she said a boy named Zeppelin and then they joke about that again. I actually liked the name Zeppelin. I stopped reading on the chapter where Jeanette came and was talking shit about it and asked Matt how he felt about the name Zeppelin because, you know, he likes classic rock, like Led Zeppelin. And he just looked at me like I was fucking stupid. So I don't know. He doesn't care if people name their kids Zeppelin or not. But I thought it was cute. You'd call him Zepp for short. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Zepp. Maybe I'll name my next dog Zeppelin. It's my... not going to be my next kid. <laughs> I really liked on page 90, she kind of like is thinking in her head about how she doesn't want to tell Josh all the shit with the creepy text messages and how uncomfortable she's been because he's already uncomfortable with her being out at night at hospitals and sometimes in sketchy neighborhoods, you know? And he made her download an app on her phone to track her just in case <laughs> he needs to find her. And like, it fucking fails. <laughs> It doesn't fucking help, but thank you, Josh. The sentiment is nice. Just anyway, a little too late. Yeah. So this is just like a normal morning. Josh gets ready. He's always well-groomed. She's so lucky because she has such an incredibly handsome husband that she's still attracted to. The kids jump into bed with her. They're watching some telly. She's going to grab the coffee because her beautiful husband, Josh, made her coffee before he got ready to go to work. He's very thoughtful. She's going to need it. She only slept for an hour. And then her phone chimes and it says, I hope you rot in hell, Meredith. And that ends that chapter. Meredith's chapters are so stressful, not only because she's being harassed within an inch of her life, in my opinion, but she's going to die after this. Yeah. That's that's what we're working up to for Meredith. That's the end of her story, death. It's fucking sad. It's really sad. And then I just, like, keep thinking about poor Leo and Delilah. And uh, we are now on page 92. Kate, 11 years before. In May. So it's two months after the chapter we were just on with Meredith. The so- way this chapter starts, I'm just reading my notes, like... My notes are so messy. I What the fuck? Who wrote this? But what it says is the servant stairs. Is this a mansion? Why is she happy about her history? Her house with history of servants? But anyways, go <laughs> off, Kate. I'm glad you have a nice ass house you can be proud of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Kate's a veterinarian. 
Yes, is- she is. Nice. She has a house that used to have service servants, but she's a vet, so <laughs> she's trying to do good now. I don't know. She didn't have servants in the house. I'm upset that we had to talk about the servant staircase. It better come back and it better be fucking important. Otherwise, why are we here, Mary? <laughs> because she sees that bee's in her studio by going down her servant stairs. She could have just said the back staircase. I would have <laughs> understood that there's two staircases. Why didn't we make it a spiral staircase? I love spiral staircases. Yeah. Anyway, not important. So they're talking about um, how Kate's talking about how her and B met, where they met, um, about Kate's life. She left for school and then about this house and how B moved with her and she was kind of like we mentioned earlier, taken aback about living in a suburb. So they turned the garage soundproof so B could work on her music. Don't you think Excuse it's me. very interesting and worth noting that they have a soundproof garage? Oh. That's not a thing that's just going around in suburbia. No. I feel like I live in suburbia. I don't yeah. know anybody with a soundproof garage. I feel like we should make note of this for later chapters. I think so too. You make a note of it. Do you have a pen and some paper? Pen and I, a I've got notes? it noted right here. Okay, Sounds good. Garage, interesting. Question mark. <laughs> um, they live. They. She notes that they live in a more liberal area instead of conservative, because they're gay. So that was another thing that B was worried about was how they would be perceived because they're a gay couple. Yep. And I just I love this whole conversation where she's talking about her like relationship. She just says B has such a sexy voice it's husky and rich and thick and I just you know what I I love hearing reading seeing couples that like each other you know it's so refreshing how do you keep that alive yeah I mean how long have they been married are they keeping it alive what are they doing in the soundproof garage I don't know I have a lot of murderer (laughs) that's how they keep it together (laughs) sounds spicy for sure (laughs) Even their house is, like, romantic. She, like, describes it as being, like, romantic with all these trees. And occasionally there's hatred and bigotry. (laughs) Oh, only a little bit. And it's just talking about how far they've come in their careers. You know, it's it's really cute. They also, she mentions the library that has built-in shelves. And I'm like, I could use a library with built-in shelves for so many fucking reasons. I could tear out the servant staircase and put more shelves there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, they, she talks about how they are doing some renovations. So they have subcontractors and they come in and out as they please. So they have a key and this these people were recommended to them through Josh because Josh and Meredith just had a little bit of a house renovation and Meredith had made a comment that it makes her uncomfortable that they can just come in and out. This... So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, this sounds so fucking oh god i would hate this they've been living like this for weeks like she mentions how they have to hurry up and get ready in the morning or the construction dudes will catch them in a towel oh my god just so uncomfortable having somebody who can come into your house day and night and the assumption is that they won't come in at night but also who's working on these contractor teams yeah women because a lot of guys it's like a buddy that they got for the last second because somebody called in sick that week you know Mm -hmm. I don't know. I would not like that. And it made me think, like, what if I ever have big home renovations? Will I have to live like this? No. I'm going to have to be in a hotel. Or tell them they have to be there at a certain time and they don't get to have a hide a key a or anything. A fucking key? That's crazy. Yeah. That, that just seems so crazy. 
<laughs> I need to know if this is real. Like, I just feel like I don't know enough contractors to know if this is a real thing that people do while they're living in the house. I'll, I'll ask my contractor friend and then we'll see come maybe, maybe not like the next podcast, but the last podcast episode, I'll have an answer. Yeah. I'd love an update on that. Yeah. So how then, much access do they really have to people's houses? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I'll ask. So then Kate asked B if there was any news on police and she's like, Oh, I just saw Josh letting the dog out and that Meredith still isn't home. The police don't have any answers, but she just saw jo- uh, the police leave and she was asking, What are they doing to find Delilah? And Josh said, Not enough. So now he's organizing a search party. And Kate actually has the day off, so she is going to help Mer- find Meredith and Delilah. Mm-hmm. And she said, even if I didn't have the day off, I would still take the day off. She's a good friend of them, but still, I'm wondering, why is this part of the story being told from her point of view? How do her and B tie in, tie in and what is going on with that soundproof yes. garage? Tell me. Hopefully it was just a cute, like, gesture that rich people do for the people that they love. Because all these people got to be fucking rich if they're redoing their 1904 houses to be more classic. Yeah. So, anyway, now we're in the present with Leo. And he's talking about Delilah's first night back in the house. And it sounds, it's, it's fucking heartbreaking. She looks terrified. She hardly speaks. He says she's just cowering in the corner of rooms. Um, her dad tells her to have a seat and she just sits right on the floor. Like she hasn't had a chair in 11 years. So why would she know that when she is told to have a seat, she should sit on the chair and she calls dad, sir. Yeah. And he keeps telling her not to, but like, sh- and this, this is something actually like people don't get, like, I'm going to say abused dogs as an example, because I feel like I have Callie and everybody's like, why is just, she, she's still like that when she's lived with you forever. Like. Because, like, the feeling of needing to survive doesn't go away just because the thing that's making you need to survive is gone. She -hmm. can't just stop calling you sir because you told her not to call her sir. Like, it's in her that she's going to get the shit beat out of her if she doesn't say sir. She's going to be saying sir probably the rest of her life. Yeah. And we find out that she has scars on her arms. And that's from getting beat. Mm Mm-hmm. And Leo's like, I've been beaten up by kids at school before. I know what it's like. Except there's always some teacher there to pull kids off me. And he's just saying how bad he feels, thinking all the time that somebody's going to sucker punch you. But at least, you know, he's, he's saying, like, when he gets in fights, the teachers break it up and then he gets called a sissy. But at least he doesn't get killed. A dad makes her food, but she can't really eat it because she hasn't really had a substantial meal in 11 years. So her stomach can't handle it. And yeah, so Leo and, is really sweet and is like, you don't have to eat it if you don't want to. Yes, and that is so huge because, once again, if she didn't eat all of her food before, she would get beat. Yes. And this chapter, like, this is our third Leo chapter, and he's even more starting to be understanding. Like, he helps her, like, not force feed herself. He's starting to feel bad for her because, like, she has always had to be, like, had her head on a swivel and always be in fight or flight mode. And he, like, notices she's going bald. He thinks that his dad notices she's going bald too but he doesn't say anything about it he tries not to look at it he doesn't even think she knows I don't think she knows either I doubt she's looked in a mirror no and instead of asking her about it he looks it up and finds out that it could have been from stress or malnutrition or whatever it's very sweet this is where he says she talks like a redneck (laughs) and he says which is weird as fuck since you came from an upper upper middle class neighborhood in the midwest (laughs) 
but you haven't been to school since kindergarten. And whoever had you was probably some redneck meth head. And everything you know, you learned from him. So <laughs> he's hilarious, but he is starting to realize, like... Yeah, one thing that he had said on 98 that, like, kind of stuck out to me was, I doubt you've ever had anyone to stand up for you. Yes, I have a little arrow pointed at that. Like, oh, my gosh. I, he's... This is this is his sister. He's starting to realize. He also notices like the cops are outside, the news crews are outside, everyone's vying for a piece of you. That's gonna be a problem for her. Like I, I'm so nervous that she's gonna be like a caged animal and react badly, quote unquote, in societal standards and like end up in jail or something. I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe that will happen. Probably won't happen. What is this story even about? <laughs> We'll find out. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of that chapter. I'm having a panic attack my dang self. Now we're on Meredith, 11 years before, in March, page 100. She just walked outside. It's nice, warm, near 60 degrees in March. That feels so good, you know, stepping it out does. of winter. It does. You, you don't know nothing about that being a Floridian now, but you used to. <laughs> hey, it was 60 degrees yesterday, and today I was in sweaters both days, okay? I was going to say, now you step out in 60 degrees weather, and you're like, shit, it's going to snow. Need my winter coat. It's freaking snow out here. It's yeah. <laughs> exactly what it is. It's okay. I've been there, too. <laughs> but shit, it's going to get cold here soon. It's like 60 degrees right now down there, too. It's, it's like the norm, but shit, it's going to be 9 degrees soon, isn't it? Next month, probably. Ugh. I'd say I'd give it February. I think you still have a couple 70 days left. 70-degree oh, days left. I better go enjoy them. Yeah, <laughs> really. So she's having a busy day. The, the kids are running late. She has to get the kids to where they need to be and get to her yoga studio in 30 minutes. And she's, like, rushing up to the school where um, Delilah goes. She sees Delilah's little friend, Piper, who is with her mom, Cassandra, and her little brother, Arlo. And, man, this... This part just made me think that being a mom sounds it sounds fucking awful for so many reasons. She's just seeing Cassandra seem so put together. Her kids walk together. They hold hands. They don't complain. Everyone's dressed. Everybody looks just so... Meredith feels like her life is falling apart right now. Although she does admit that her and her kids look reasonably well put together. She's obviously comparing herself to Cassandra and this isn't the first time yeah that shit sucks um I also want to say Meredith has had had a hell of a 14 hours I'm assuming this has been 14 hours yeah it's that morning isn't it uh uh-huh well it doesn't really say if it's a different morning than the morning where she drank the coffee but I feel like we can assume it's the same morning yeah gosh just the constantly trying to look like you have your family all put together children are not made to be put together I imagine every second being a mom is fucking chaotic (laughs) yeah my imagination I just let Sebastian wear what he goes to sleep in because the next day it's gonna he's gonna get it dirty anyway so yeah Thank goodness he's cl- he's clothed. Okay, yeah. That's all. That's that's. I feel like the most we can ask for. Yeah. They don't even want that. Okay. That's yeah. a, that's a battle in itself. Yeah. Meredith asked Cassandra if she wouldn't mind taking Delilah to school because she's in such a rush. Cassandra was like, "Oh yeah, that's fine. I'll take them." And then Delilah runs off, and she mentions in here that Delilah's the extrovert of the family. Mm-hmm. And as Delilah's taking off, Meredith is like, "Come back here and say goodbye." Oh, so cute. And, I mean, Meredith feels a little bad for unloading the kid onto her friend. But she's like, she's autonomous. She's independent. 
she doesn't even like to ask for help. And I don't know if this feels important too. Yes. So anyways, um, she heads off to Charlotte's. That's the neighborhood babysitter. And then she gets a text. Oh, my Atlanta. Says, I know what you did. You'll never get away with it, bitch. And that's how that chapter ends. And then we're in May of the same year with Kate. Oh my God. This book is so good. (laughs) It is so good. And honestly, like, it's just so easy to read. I finished the last 70 pages of our reading this morning, like between seven o'clock and like nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I'm honestly, after we're done recording, I might just read a little bit more we before left I start editing. Part where you need to read a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we always do that. Always. <laughs> Anyways. So now we're with Kate and she's meeting up with Josh, her and her wifey. They're, you know, getting ready to do the search party. He looks stressed out. He's, his eyes are bloodshot. He's twitchy. He doesn't look like he's really slept. And of course, he didn't bring Leo. Kate is assuming he's with Charlotte, the babysitter. And this is the note I put in here because they said they mentioned that Charlotte is older mm-hmm. and she lives alone with her husband. So I put, is Charlotte the kidnapper? I couldn't help but wonder that myself. And I even was like wondering because there's such a focus on the chapter where Delilah was running on her, like not wanting to go into any of the houses, but her also like looking around and seeing all the houses and realizing she might not have run far. What if she didn't go far? What if she's been in her neighborhood the whole fucking time? That's what I was thinking too. It's a definite possibility. Oh, especially because in one of these chapters, they find the body not too far off. Right. Meredith's. Yes. Or is it Shelby's body? They find not too far off. Neither of them are far away. It didn't say it just said, a body was found. And that's, we end the fucking reading. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we end the reading. Not in this chapter, though. We still have a little bit to go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a cliffhanger. We didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> so anyway, um, she's, Kate's kind of thinking in her head, like, she wonders if Leo knows what's happening and how indigestible, like, your mom and sister missing would be for a four-year-old and I agree with her that a four-year-old probably does not understand the concept of your mom being missing but I definitely feel like they can understand the concept of missing your mom and your dad being stressed the fuck out so I imagine that Leo is also not in a good headspace yeah that's what I'm thinking and like this the next few chapters are very very important for the story at least in my opinion yeah. Um, the woman who owns the yoga studio where Meredith works is there. And Josh was like, oh, I hope it wasn't an, incon- an inc- inconvenience that she was out sick yesterday. And the owner was like, oh, she's been out. Like, we've th- we filled in for her before. And he's like, what are you talking about before? And she's like, this isn't the first time. It's been several times that she's yeah. called out in the last few weeks. Yeah, they find out that this would be the third time she's called out in a two-week span and that she never called out before. So this is a big deal. And it's also not just a big deal for her work, but Josh didn't know she was sick. He thought she'd worked all those days. Yeah. And you know, when you're in like a committed relationship and you find out that your significant other did not work days they told you they worked, you're like, betrayal? Mm-hmm. Kind of feels like it. And also Jeanette tells them that she's been cutting down on doula clients. And this is also news to Josh. And she told Jeanette she's cutting back to be with her family more. So it shouldn't be news to Josh. Mm-hmm. And Kate's taken this all in observing that Josh's reaction to everything. And I'm still, as I read these, why are we getting Kate's perspective here? Yes. But anyways, eventually... um. 
Like, they have all these talks. Is Kate the one that actually finds? No, because I feel like Leo would have said it when he's like, the woman's going to get a big reward, so never mind. Yeah. Um, and I think Kate would have recognized Delilah because of all that fucking red hair. Yeah. And they say she looks just like her mom. So she really would have. Yeah. They get all divided up into groups and um, B and Kate end up taking the neighborhood. They're going to go door to door and talk to everybody because they know the neighborhood the best. And it's pretty uneventful basically the entire time. Mostly it's just like neighbors wanting to know what happened as they do. Yeah. People giving unhelpful ideas of where she could be. Whatever. I didn't really take very many notes on page 106, 107 or 108. I didn't either. I did note that the picture that Josh sent out was of Meredith and the two Mm. kids. A sweet little family picture. Yeah, and they all have a moment getting choked up about the picture and how everything was just so fucking normal, you know, a week ago. Yeah, and then they talk to neighbors and they're like, oh, Delilah's so sweet, yada yada. By page 109, they make it to the Hanukkah's house. Is that how we're pronouncing this? Yeah. It's Cassandra's house who Meredith used to idolize and actually talks in page 109 about how um, Kate has never actually met Cassandra herself, but Meredith used to talk about her all the time. Her name always came up in conversation. Cassandra said the new bakery on Jackson has the best cinnamon scones. She said they're planning one of those Alaskan cruises next summer with the kids. She told me about this little baking and baking soda and vinegar in the drains to get rid of those annoying little fruit flies fruit flies and josh would like tease her about it but it's really obvious that meredith like idolized her and this is still like putting more in my brain that something's up with her yes why why do i feel like she's so sus anyways they end up at her house they knock they say they hope they're not bothering her and cassandra's like no not at all the baby just went down for a nap and kate kind of just notices that her and her whole house are very fucking immaculate considering she has two small children. And I'm like, why do I feel like she's a little sus? Yeah. Even as she goes on to page like 111, she's talking about how she hasn't seen Meredith for days. And she just goes into this long fucking explanation about how they've hardly been able to go out outside. Piper's been begging for play dates with Delilah. And she had to make up this lie about why Delilah couldn't go on a play date with Piper. And she said she went to the dentist. And it's like half the fucking page. And I'm like, lady, you are talking more than anybody else in this book. What are you hiding? Yeah. If you if you give too many details in your lie, it feels like a lie. Yes. I don't know. Why do I feel suspicious of her? Anyway, they're just, like, chatting. They're talking about the search party. Um, Cassandra's talking about how she couldn't join the search party because the son's napping, but she wants to help once he wakes up. They talk about her maybe making some phone calls once they get a call list um, while the son is sleeping. And then she gets up to go, like, finish making the coffee for B and Kate. And with her back turned to them, she says, I saw something. And this kind of, like, made my blood turn cold. But then I was like, why is she just now saying this? Like, why is she Why is she delivering things the way that she is? I'm so suspicious of this lady. Yes. Anyways, this is where she tells them that she saw something outside the house one night when she was putting her son down to sleep. He's like a toddler. He was having a fussy night. And his room has, like, a perfect bird's eye view of josh and meredith's house so she was like looking out there sort of out the corner of her eye or out of her peripherals and she sees two people out there 
and she knows they were people she said she was looking at them for a while because at first she was like maybe it's a tree maybe it's a dog whatever and she says multiple people two people and I'm like like a man and a woman like a man and a woman who might be keeping a kid in their basement for 11 years and of course Kate is like did you call the police or maybe B asked if she called the police but either way Cassandra did not call the police but she didn't think it looked like a break-in attempt she kind of thought that it was just a couple people stumbling around drunk from college students because there's a college campus nearby and maybe they were just walking home because it was like one o'clock in the morning and that's around the time that bars close in this place she says whatever it was it didn't last long they were not there for very long but either way this is good information for the police and for us because it's creepy as fuck so Mm -hmm. B and Kate decide that next time they see the cops they're going to tell them Cassandra's story and maybe they'll be able to get some video surveillance from other neighbors and holy fuck who was out there who was out there multiple people what window were they looking in do you I think that this whole crime was to get Delilah and Meredith was collateral damage i think so too but why why did they want delilah yeah just to keep her in the basement what the fuck is happening here so then on page 115 they walk a few blocks and they end up at the home of shelby tebow and they knock on it gosh and the husband answers and he's kind of a dick yeah before we even get to the dickish husband shelby's house is walking distance from meredith and delilah that's fucking weird in real life that would be fucking weird yes so anyways something else for us to know as we continue our reading but they knock on the door they kind of feel like should they not because of what happened with shelby or should they and they're like because it's happened twice now it's probably a good idea that they talk to him too so they can try and figure out what really happened with shelby and now with meredith Exactly. There's too much similarity for them to not talk to the other person who had this happen. Yes. And Jason's a fucking dick. Like, he answers the door. He's got a baby in his arm. He's feeding it. He does not seem like he wants to or should be feeding a baby. And they're like, hi, we're so-and-so. We're knocking on doors, finding out if anybody has seen our friend. She's been missing since yesterday. And he's like, is this some kind of fucking joke? Like, this is, like, the first fucking words that he says to them. And he doesn't give a shit. He walks out the front door, lets the screen door slam behind him, disturbs the baby, baby screaming, bottle's not even in the baby's mouth anymore. Like, he's just a very aggressive man with all this angry energy. Very. I could see why people would think that he murdered his wife. Yeah. And Kate jumps in and, like, explains the whole story, apologizes, and says who they're looking for. And he's like, oh, shit, I know Meredith. That was my wife's doula. Fucking hell. I mean, we already knew this, but it's not a coincidence, is it? No. And... They go on to talk about, like, how long they've known each other. Like, of course, they're asking questions. They f- we find out that the baby is six weeks old, named after Grace, or after Shelby. Shelby's middle name was Grace. The baby's name is Grace. He mentions that the birth was a fucking nightmare. He won't talk about why the birth was a nightmare. He completely drops the conversation, asks how long they've been gone. Like, he doesn't want to talk about his personal stuff anymore. Let's talk about Meredith instead. Kate gets the feeling that this guy could be somebody who hurts a woman, but, like, would he hurt a child? She mentions that there's holes in the story about the night that Shelby disappeared uh, by accounts from friends and neighbors because Shelby and Jason fought often. Mm -hmm. And Shelby was seen with bruises. And... It seemed like there was always an excuse for everything. 
Yeah, this paragraph at the top of 120, it says she'd just been given permission to exercise and she was trying to shed the baby weight. According to Jason, Shelby thought she was fat. After the baby was asleep was the only time she was run. She could run. The way he said it came off as misogynistic. I told her not to go, he said then. It's not my fault she's gone. In essence, he meant by that that it was Shelby's fault. He tried to retract it later in a press conference when asked by a reporter. He said it wasn't what he meant to say, that he was actually trying to blame his wife for he that he wasn't actually trying to blame his wife for her own disappearance. But by then it had already run in the paper. There was no taking it back. Public opinion had already been formed. And that really happens, but also like it seems so easy to form this public opinion. Yeah. Like your wife is missing and you're literally doing and i told you so it's it's a weird reaction a very weird reaction maybe it's not a weird reaction it's just not the reaction i would want my husband to have yeah do do we know did they they haven't found shelby's body yet right they found a body but no as far as i know kate keeps calling her missing okay so then they're asking about um, – they said that they found blood on the ground where Shelby disappeared and that it, luminol was used to clean the blood off um, or someone tried to clean it or the rain washed it away. And then they ask who could have done this to Shelby and he goes, I don't know, she didn't have many enemies. And he said, Dr. Feingold. And then he just kind of was like, can't talk about it, got to go back inside. Yeah, and then he slams the fucking door again. Baby starts screaming again. And it's very interesting. He mentioned a terrible labor and then that the only person she had beef with was Dr. Feingold, her obstetrician. And then we end this chapter with a text message that came through the group chat for the people on the search saying a body has been found. Yep. And we don't know whose body it's in because we do one more chapter and it's Meredith's. Now we are on page 122. It's Meredith, 11 years before, back in March. And she just barely made it to her class. Last time we talked to her, she had dropped her kids off. She was really rushing. She only had a half an hour to get to everything. And honestly, this whole, she's stressed the fuck out. And she's running everybody through a yoga class. But it kind of made me want to do some yoga. She (laughs) sounds like a good yoga instructor. Yes. Um, She's doing all the calming things and like the deep breathing. And she's like, I know while you're instructing yoga, you can't do yoga because you can't like instruct and relax at the same time. But she's trying to relax with everyone. And I was like thinking that's what I would be doing probably too at every yoga class. Not even if I was being harassed because I get stressed out. (laughs) Yes. She keeps thinking I've done nothing wrong. Yeah. So the yoga class gets done and she has a meet and greet with a new client she is going to a coffee shop she always meets people in public because it's more safe she's kind of like a solo person and she kind of sounds like she meets people on Craigslist maybe either way her client Shelby Tebow and this is their first meeting as I mentioned and Shelby buys her some coffee a cinnamon scone but doesn't get anything herself and when Meredith is like you're really not going to eat she just is like look at me I'm fat The last thing I need is a pastry. And I'm like, sounds like your husband's been saying some shit. Yeah. Like, you you can't have a pastry because you're too pregnant? Who hurt you? My husband says I'm never going to lose all this weight. I've gained 30 pounds. 30 pounds? She's 36 months, 36 weeks pregnant. You're supposed to gain 40. Yeah, that doesn't even seem like a lot. I gained 30 pounds from getting a desk job. (laughs) Same. (laughs) 
So we also find out that her husband isn't coming to the doula meeting. He actually doesn't even know she's there. She is just worried that she's going to be in the hospital by herself having the baby because he's not really involved. And Meredith is kind of thinking, like, this is normal. This happens. And she also is noticing, like, Shelby is drinking caffeine, which isn't really advised, but she's not going to judge. And she's also talking about how she just cannot judge anyone, even if they, like, make the choose to abort choice to abort their fetus based on genetic testing. Like no matter what their background is, it's really important not to project her own feelings onto their situation. And I'm like, I wish all doctors were like this. She's not even a doctor. She's actually doing this because doctors don't do this. Never mind. <laughs> she just sounds great. She just sounds like the exact person that you would want to be helping you out with this. And she also finds out here that Shelby's 36 weeks. As you mentioned, Shelby just moved here. She left everybody behind. The only person she has is her husband. And her husband can't even be bothered to help her through the last month of her pregnancy, which fucking pisses me off. Like, the Same. move seems so terribly timed. And I guarantee if we find out anything else about the move, it's going to be that it only benefited him. That's what I think. He was on his college football team. Yeah, and... Hardcore, meaning he has to, at the bare fucking minimum, emotionally neglect his wife to maintain his manhood. Yeah, he's super hardcore. Yeah. Page 126 is just so emotionally fucking draining for me to read. The whole thing, it's almost the whole thing, up to the last paragraph, is talking about how, like, the shitty things that she'd seen happen in a labor room, like, even her own labor was kind of crazy because she felt like nobody was paying attention to her and her husband had to like beg to get somebody to pay attention to her and it was just all about like getting the baby and once the baby was out like was there somebody still occupying the room she was in they didn't even know and then she's like that's a cakewalk compared to what happens like sometimes women go in there and don't even know that they had an operation or they don't get a choice if they're going to have an operation or sometimes they'll just stick their hands inside a woman's vagina without telling her it's basically sexual assault she says and like like, this seems real to me. This seems yeah. like it probably really fucking happens. I feel like a lot of doctors, like, especially if it's a male doctor dealing with a female patient doing, like, labor and shit, how they don't know the real pain that you're going through. And I feel like a lot of them think that you are being dramatic. If I was ever going to get pregnant, page 126 made sure that it would never happen. <laughs> thank you, Miss Mary. So anyways, thank God doulas fucking exist. I also kind of laughed at the end of 126 when she's like, I don't want any of that new age cl- crap. I don't need to eat my placenta. I had to Google <laughs> eating the placenta because, you it's know, everybody thing. says it is a real thing. And I was under the impression up to this point that it was like a thing that we've done all through history. So I Googled it. And no, we didn't actually start ingesting human placenta until 1960. Up till then, we did use it, but it would be, like, you would, like, cook it and, like, put it near someone to, like, draw out some, like, gunk from them. Or, like, it would be used in medicines, not, like, just eaten as a vitamin. Anyway. It's fucking expensive, too. It's expensive, too. I think it's, like, $400 to get your placenta turned into pills. I looked into it. That's just the person you're paying to get it turned into pills. Don't you probably have to pay the hospital to, like, store it for you and have somebody pick it up? And there's, like, a whole refrigeration aspect. I don't know. Yeah. $400 even sounds cheap to me. Yeah. (laughs) Especially with hospitals involved. True. So Shelby's like, I want the epidural. I don't want a C-section unless I absolutely need it. And I won't be eating my placenta. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. Meredith just sends her away, says, go talk to your husband about the contract 
Um, and then we find out that her husband's a, an insurance agent, and they got married when Shelby was right out, right, like right out of high school. It just sounds like a textbook abusive relationship to me. Yes, um, she doesn't it, like when you're right out of high school and you don't know anything else. Like that really, I think, narrows the playing field for you because how do you get out when you don't know anything else? Yeah, on page one twenty seven, Meredith says Shelby tells me how much her husband loves kids and how he'll be a great father one day. And she says, I just don't get the sense that one day means four weeks from now. Yeah. And it's not 10 weeks from then either when the baby is six weeks old and he's slamming screen doors while she's just trying to get a snack. Um, They part ways. They meet again in two days after Shelby has presumably talked to her husband about the contract and he obviously has his reservations. He thinks that Meredith is a con. He thinks it's too expensive. He wanted to talk her down from her price if it could be like 800 Actually, he says at first he wants to talk her down to 1000 or 800 So I wonder how much her price is because it's more than $1,000. And yeah. she's like, that seems like a lot of money for one day of work. And of course, Meredith is like, it's not really one day of work. It's like meetings like this, the postnatal visit, endless phone calls. Kate mentioned in a previous chapter that even after they have the baby, they'll be texting Meredith and she still gives her time for free after that. Like, please don't fucking be little small businesses. Yes. If you want to get hospital prices, insurance prices, go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But that's not what uh, we want here. Meredith mentions when she sees Shelby this time around that Shelby's wearing sunglasses inside. Yes, and that's how we end this chapter. And I'm like, of course she's wearing sunglasses after negotiating with her husband. Yeah. Meredith does say, does say I don't negotiate my fees. And then Shelby's like, well, he signed it. <laughs> I got him on board either way. And I, I think that um, her face was a punching bag. And then he was like, do whatever you want. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that to you. That's you know? what I think, too. So that concludes our reading. Good. Man. Not like good, we're done. But this book is good. The, the book is really good. And I literally have no idea what the fuck is going on and who could be the killer. Because, like, why Shelby... And then Meredith and keeping Delilah in the basement for 11 years. Like, why go through the trouble of killing somebody for the express purpose purpose of killing, kidnapping the daughter for no reason but to feed it dog food for a little while? Yeah. I'm so confused. I don't know. I, I literally don't know what could be happening, but I feel like Cassandra is very sus. I do, too. Maybe she had a hand, a helping hand in this. Maybe. Their house is so quiet and spotless. Okay, so yeah. we talked about this. I'm, just, I'm sitting here trying to think of a theory that I could throw out at you, but I got nothing. It's it's fucking crazy. I can't wait to wait to read more. Yeah, so uh, we're reading till page two, so so we can answer questions that are at the end of the book. We're reading until page two sixty three because two sixty ends in the middle of a chapter, and it's Meredith eleven years before in May, so about the time that she go disappears. My theory is it's either. Charlotte, the babysitter, or the doctor, and maybe Cassandra has a way, somehow has her sneaking fingers involved. Yeah, if it's, if everything is related, Shelby, Meredith, Delilah, then it's definitely something to do with the fucking doctor. Yeah. But if it's not related, then I have no idea what's going on. And I feel like it could very well be not related because they seem like very different crimes, although we don't know what the crimes actually are to the women. So... I don't know. I'm excited. We're going to do basically another 130 pages, and I think we're going to get some 
questions answered and probably get a lot more fucking questions. (laughs) I think so too. (laughs) 